0: The following is an excerpt from a piece titled Nonviolence Versus Jim Crow. It was written in 1942 by civil rights activist Bayard Rustin. And I will offer a warning that some of the language and imagery may be triggering or offensive to some of you. Bayard Rustin writes, Recently, I was planning to go from Louisville Louisville to Nashville by bus. I bought my ticket, boarded the bus, and instead of going to the back, sat down in the second seat. The driver saw me, got up, and came toward me. Hey, you, you're supposed to sit in the back seat. Why? Because that's the law. Niggers ride in back. I said, my friend, I believe that is an unjust law. If I were to sit in back, I would be condoning injustice." Angry but not knowing what to do, he got out and went into the station. He soon came out again, got into his seat, and started off. Finally, the driver, in desperation, must have phoned ahead. For about 13 miles north of Nashville, I heard sirens approaching. The bus came to an abrupt stop, and a police car and two motorcycles drew up beside us with a flourish. Four policemen got onto the bus, consulted shortly with the driver, and came to my seat. Get up, you nigger. Why? I asked. Get up. I believe that I have the right to sit here, I said quietly. If I sit in the back of the bus, I am depriving that child, I pointed to a little white child of five or six, of the knowledge that there is injustice here, which I believe it is his right to know. It is my sincere conviction that the power of love in the world is the greatest power existing. If you have a greater power, my friend, you may move me. How much they understood of what I was trying to tell them, I do not know. By this time, they were impatient and angry. As I would not move, they began to beat me about the head and shoulders, and I shortly found myself knocked to the floor. Then they dragged me out of the bus and continued to kick and beat me. Knowing that if I tried to get up or protected myself in the first heat of their anger, they would construe it as an attempt to resist and beat me down again. I forced myself to be still, and wait for their kicks, one after another. Then I stood up, spreading my arms out parallel to the ground, and said, there is no need to beat me, I am not resisting you. In this account, Rustin tells how he was eventually taken into custody, where he suffered more abuse at the hands of the police, was insulted more, but was eventually able to explain that he was attacked by the officers for no other reason than sitting in a seat on a bus. Three white patrons on that same bus, including an elderly gentleman who had seen this spectacle, joined him in the courthouse and advocated on his behalf. and. Bayard Rustin was eventually released. He concludes this reflection by saying that, I left the courthouse believing all the more strongly in the nonviolent approach. I am certain that I was assisted by those three white men and that the elderly gentleman interested himself in my predicament because I had, without fear, faced the four policemen and said, there is no need to beat me I offer you no resistance. So most of us immediately associate Martin Luther King Jr. with nonviolence. The message that he shared of nonviolent resistance was exactly the right message at the right time. Not only was it a powerful antidote to the poison of aggressive and brutal acts of racism, but it created some of the most memorable images from the civil rights movement. Think of the waves of black commuters walking to work during the Montgomery bus boycott, or the Little Rock Nine teenagers desegregating schools in Arkansas in 1957. Think of the lunch counter protests or marchers having hoses and dogs turned on them. This was because King, as a messenger and prophet, was able to bring together the movement around nonviolence as a response to brutality. But what I find truly interesting is that King, understanding the personal threat to himself and his family as the visible leader of the movement for civil rights, was for a time accompanied by armed guards and himself carried a weapon. It was Bayard Rustin who convinced him to not only preach about nonviolence, but live nonviolence as well. Rustin convinced him to travel unarmed. Bayard Rustin was many things. He was a Quaker, hence his commitment to nonviolence and passive resistance. He was an athlete, he was an accomplished vocalist. He was an eloquent speaker and writer. He was black, and he was, for his time, in his way, openly gay. Here are just a few highlights from the journey and the incredible life of Bayard Rustin. In the 30s, 1930s, he trained at the American Friends Service Committee. He was part of planning what would be the first march on Washington in 1941 protesting discrimination in the military. Of course, this march was called off when President Roosevelt signed an executive order prohibiting employment discrimination by government contractors. Bayard Rustin organized to protect the property of Japanese citizens who had been interned during World War II which led to his own appointment as the field secretary for the Congress of Racial Equality Corps. He planned the journey of reconciliation in 1947, which became the blueprint for the Freedom Rides of the 1960s. He successfully lobbied for the desegregation of the military in 1948. Around this time, he also organized the Free India Committee, fighting for India's independence from Britain, and organized the Committee to Support South African Resistance, the American Committee on Africa. In 1956, he began assisting Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. in the Montgomery bus, bus boycott. And then he was the deputy director and chief organizer of the 1963 March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom where, of course, Dr. King presented his I'd Have a Dream speech. In the late 1960s, he helped found the A. Philip Randolph Institute, an organization for black trade unionists. He helped found the National Emergency Coalition for Haitian Rights and was chairman of the executive committee of Freedom House. There is much, much more that he did. Bayard Rustin died in 1987. 26 years after his death in 2013, Bayard Rustin was posthumously awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by President Obama. This was largely the work of an organization you may not be familiar with, National Black Justice Coalition, and primarily the work of a black lesbian activist, Mandy Carter. After meeting Mandy Carter, and learning much more about Bayard Rustin's story, I became a facilitator for showing a film called Brother Outsider that you may or may not have seen. I would love to show it here at First Parish. It is about the life and times of Bayard Rustin. You see, what we realized at the National Black Justice Coalition is that the civil rights movement, as we know it, would not have materialized without Rustin, and no one was moving forward to give him his due because Bayard Rustin was gay. Most unfortunately, early in his career, Rustin had been picked up on a charge of indecency, public homosexuality, and served time for his crime. Potential exposure of Rustin's orientation was regularly used against him as a threat and to those who he helped support, including King. Now, although I came out in the period of pink power and lavender triangles and also witnessed firsthand the dawn of the AIDS crisis and silence equals death in gay communities, I cannot begin to imagine what it must have been like to be Bayard Rustin in the 1950s. He was a gay man and not at all apologetic for that fact, and he was black. The laws of the United States at that time saw him as subhuman for being black and depraved for being gay. The potential for him to be the recipient of violence was many times what it would have been for anyone else walking down the street. Yet, he held his head high and never stopped working for justice and never stopped being himself. He was the poster child for nonviolence. There is no need to beat me. I offer you no resistance. There's a level of steely resistance and conviction and faith that I think many of us would be hard-pressed to equal. Rustin carried this impulse and his outspoken commitment to justice into his later years as he began to openly speak about gay rights. For Rustin, liberation is not as simple as declaring everybody free, nor does liberation mean making everyone the same. In his 1984 essay, Montgomery to Stonewall, which you heard a little bit of before, Rustin offers his insight by explaining four burdens that are carried by oppressed people on the road to freedom. He writes, there are four burdens which gaze along with every other despised group, whether it is blacks following slavery and reconstruction or Jews fearful of Germany, must address. The first is to recognize that one must overcome fear. The second is overcoming self-hate. The third is overcoming self-denial. The fourth burden is more political. It is to recognize that the job of the gay community is not to deal with extremists who would castrate us or put us on an island and drop an H-bomb on us. The fact of the matter is that there is a small percentage of people in America who understand the true nature of the homosexual community. There is another small percentage who will never understand us. Our job is not to get those people who dislike us to love us. Nor was our aim in the civil rights movement to get prejudiced white people to love us. Our aim was to try to create the kind of America legislatively, morally, and psychologically, such that even though some whites continued to hate us, they could not openly manifest that hate. That's our job today to control the extent to which people can publicly manifest anti-gay sentiment. Our work is not done with civil rights, with women's rights, with LGBTQ rights, with the rights of any truly marginalized people in the United States. Not because we haven't convinced every racist, homophobe, misogynist to change their ways, Our work is not done because, as a society, we have yet to place effective limits on how people can publicly manifest their hate. There is a power imbalance that has yet to really shift, although we're working on it. The effort to change this balance is complicated by the fact that bigotry has gone to law school. It is now working very hard to portray itself as a victim, especially in the court of public opinion. The rhetoric around religious liberty, where Christians are a persecuted class. The claims of white male college-age rapists needing defense from the liberal elites. The argument that billionaires and billion-dollar corporations are somehow at a loss when they are forced to pay living wages. Our work is not done. Bayard Rustin was a gay man. Don't ever forget that. But don't forget that although his sexuality and his race shaped his experience, he's not limited to or by those definitions. It was his ability to translate his unique perspective, gay, black, Quaker, into vision and his ability to rise above the violence aimed at him for being who he was. That's what becomes our inspiration. May we stay strong, and may we keep building the world where there is no place for the open manifestation or the potential endorsement of hate. May it be so.